Our scripture reading today comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and it's the version from the message. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-top your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. All right, thank you, Chad. Good morning. If you haven't noticed, we're getting new lights in here. (laughs) And there's a big green monster in the back. Uh, Whatever you had to walk by to get into the front door. So um, that that thing's for the lights. So anyway, they are really bright. (laughs) So I'll work my way through this. Well, according to Charlie Brown, this is what a friend is. A friend is someone who knows all your faults but likes you anyway. Along those same lines, there was a book out, children's book years ago called A Friend is Someone Who Likes You. But how important is friendship these days, especially in our culture? A few years ago, uh, Susan Phillips, you may know that name, She's a pastor, professor, writer from up the road here in in Berkeley. A few years ago, she did a lecture called Friendship Matters, (laughs) where she shared the state, the current state of friendship in our culture. She said the friendship in the Western world is declining rapidly due to friendship being viewed as ordinary, unnecessary, private, and largely unexamined. In the West, friendship is simply a common garden variety kind of love. After all, don't we have this expression? Well, we're just friends. (laughs) Furthermore, she argues, doesn't friendship get trumped daily in adult life by family needs, by work needs, even by hobby needs. Now, Phillips isn't alone in this assessment. C.S. Lewis said words similar to these years ago. But then there's this famous song (laughs) that was written that goes like this. I've built walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter, and it's loving I disdain. Do you know the rest? I am a rock. (laughs) I am an island. For you young people, that's Simon and Garfunkel. (laughs) So what are we to do when Jesus says to his disciples, I call you friends? What are we to make of it that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords offers his friendship to us? Let's pray. Well, Father, we need your spirit. 
to help us understand your word today. So we ask in your mercy and your grace that you would make this text come alive. Come alive in our lives as never before. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're walking through the Upper Room Discourse with those first disciples. And this week we come to the very center of the discourse. As many have noticed, this discourse is structured in the shape of a chiasm. Now, I know this is a bit technical, but I think it's helpful to see this and to help us understand our passage today. As many of you know, the Bible is written, much of the Bible was written in these kinds of structures, because that's just simply how the Middle Eastern mind thinks, still thinks today. And the point of these structures is to work towards a center point, a center passage, and then repeat the same points, but according to or in light of different themes or different topics. Typically, the key to the entire passage is found in the center. That's our text today. The very center of the upper room discourse. Now, as, I, as you walk through this structure, you can see that chapters 13 and 17 frame the discourse with the first verse of the discourse and the last verse of the discourse feeding our center passage. Then in 14 and 16, chapters 14 and 16, you get teaching on the paraclete, on love, and on being disciples of Jesus. Then last week's passage, the vine and branches, which is all about abiding in Jesus. And that pairs with the fact, the text that we'll look at next week, that abiding in Jesus happens within great persecution. And then we have the love command surrounding our passage today. Our passage where Jesus offers his friendship to us. So let's jump into our text, and we're going to look at the love command, and it's verses 12 and 17. So here are these words of Jesus. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Now, if you remember back at the beginning, well, in chapter 13, Jesus already gave his invitation to love. He began his discourse by saying he would love his disciples to the end. He then demonstrated that love by washing their feet. And he follows that with the love command. He calls it a new command. Verse 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus really wants us to love. I think we've talked about it every week, haven't we, in the Upper Room Discourse. It's the clearest evidence of our love for him. And it's the clearest evidence of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete abiding in us, and it's the clearest evidence that we are abiding in Jesus. As disciples of Jesus, we love. That's what we do. 
Now, I think it's telling that in Jesus' last teaching on earth, he focuses so much on love. He doesn't focus on doctrinal purity or church government or how to do a Sunday morning church service. (laughs) He focuses on love. He really wants us to learn how to love and people will know us by our love. So the love command frames our center uh, text today. So let's look at this center, verses 13 to 16. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. You are my friends, Jesus says. No longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. Now, from the rest of the Gospels, what Jesus means here is no longer do I only call you, no longer do I only call you servants. No longer do I only call you douloi. That's the word for servants. For as he demonstrated in the foot washing, they, the disciples, and we are still servants. Being a servant is not shameful. Not at all. After all, Jesus is called a servant in the great Philippians hymn. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And then throughout Scripture, to be a servant of the Lord is a great honor. Moses, Joshua, David, Solomon, they're all called servants of the Lord. Who wouldn't want to be a servant of the Lord? To be a servant follows in the footsteps of Jesus who came not to be served but to serve, to give his life away. To be called a servant is a great honor. What Jesus means here is no longer do I only call you servants. No longer do I only call you douloi. I call you philoi, friends. Now, as I said earlier, at the beginning of this discourse, Jesus said he would love his disciples to the end. To the, literally, telos. Means to the goal. To the fullest extent possible. Jesus will love his disciples to the goal. Could it be that Philoi, friends, is the goal of his love? Could it be that Philoi, friend, friends, plural, is the fullest extent of Jesus' agape love? Now, you probably know there are four words in the Greek language for love. We only have one in English, which is probably why there's so much confusion around love. 
<laughs> I think the Greeks would have rolled their eyes at us. Or, no, they probably would have been in shock by our simplicity that we could whisper, I love you to our spouse in one breath and then say, I love mac and cheese <laughs> in the next. <laughs> The four words for love, storge. So storge is the obligatory love of family. This word describes the love of a parent for a child or a child for a parent. One simply ought to love his or her family. Then there's eros. Eros is the love of beauty, the one that loves because of the loveliness or the goodness of the other. This love is swept off its feet by the other. Then there's agape. Agape is the love of decision, the love for the unlovely, the love for those who don't deserve it. And philos. Philos is the love of friends. It's the love of mutual respect, mutual admiration, or the love of a worthy thing. So we get philosophy, the love of wisdom, or philanthropy, the love of humanity from this word. Philoi, friends, plural, like each other. They even enjoy each other. Now, New Testament writers do not describe Jesus' love as storge love. Jesus does not love us with an obligatory kind of love. And Jesus' love is not described as eros. He's not swept off his feet by our <laughs> beauty or goodness. As many of you know, Jesus' love is typically described as agape. Uh, agape, the love of decision, the love for the undeserved. So John 3.16, for God so loved, agape the world, he sent his son. But... In select places, the New Testament writers do use philos, love, to describe Jesus' love. And especially in John. Especially in John. Yes, John uses agape all over the place, in his gospel and his letters. But it seems to me that because he uses agape so much, when he uses philos, he's trying to make a point. For example, when Jesus speaks of Jesus' love for Lazarus, he doesn't use the word agape. He uses philos. John eleven three. 3, behold, the one you love, philos, is sick. In John eleven eleven, 11, Jesus simply calls Lazarus his friend, philos. In John eleven thirty six, 36, as Jesus weeps at Lazarus' grave, the Jews say, see how he loved him, philos. Now, certainly Jesus' agape loved Lazarus. Like us and every other sinner, Lazarus has no hope without the agape love of Jesus. And yet, and yet, Jesus speaks of Jesus, uh, John speaks of Jesus' love for Lazarus with philos, love. Is John saying here with Lazarus that philos is the fullest extent of God's love? No longer do I only call you servants, douloi, I call you friends, philoi. 
Now, in the first century, philos meant a whole lot more than the word friend means today. In fact, friendship love in the Greek world was considered the highest form of love. To love someone as philoi, as friends, is to like or enjoy one another. You didn't become someone's friend willy-nilly. You became philoi very, very carefully. To love someone as philoi was an amazing, incredible gift. One New Testament scholar describes friendship in the first century as, or maybe a friend in the first century, as a confidant. A confidant. One to whom a secret is entrusted because people entrust their most intimate secrets to only those whom they love and in whom they have confidence. Jesus says, no longer do I only call you servants, I call you confidants. You're the ones to which I'm going to share my most intimate thoughts, all, all that the Father has shared with me. Whoa. Another New Testament scholar says it this way, philos means natural attraction toward those who belong. So Jesus says, no longer do I only call you servants, I call you friends because you belong to me and with me. Wonder of wonders. Do you see the huge compliment? Jesus is paying those first disciples and us. He's sharing his most intimate thoughts with them and us. He's opening up his heart and his mind to them and us. He's treating us as if we belong. I can imagine those first disciples full of questions, anxiety, and fear falling off their pews when they heard him say this. <laughs> but it gets even more wonderful. This means that what God said to Moses is now said to those first disciples and to you and to me. Exodus 33:11 The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And what is said of Abraham is now said of those first disciples and you and me. James 2 Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. Moses and Abraham extraord, enjoyed extraordinary access to the mind of God. The psalmist says this in, in Psalm 25. He says, the Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. The word for confide there is the word for inner circle or intimate friendship. And so it's a picture of the living God holding a conference to which he invites his most trusted friends his confidants. What a privilege. What a privilege. I call you friends for all that I have heard from my Father I've made known to you. This is the privilege of being philoi. The privilege of belonging. Servants don't have this privilege. 
Servants don't know or need to know what the master is doing. Servants obey blindly, so to speak, by doing what they're told, not friends. Friends are brought in because they're trusted and they belong. They're not only told what to do, but also why and how and when. They're confidants. But it gets even better. We have the examples of Lazarus and Abraham and Moses, but John also tells us about the disciple whom Jesus loved. Four times, he's the disciple whom Jesus agape loved. But on Easter morning, he's called the disciple whom Jesus philos loved. Now, if you remember, this disciple was the one reclining on Jesus' bosom in the upper room. He was so close to Jesus, he could feel his heartbeat. Now, what is wonderful and astonishing is that this is the same language used of Jesus' own friendship with the Father. John 1, no one has ever seen God at any time, but God, the only Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has made him known. The disciple whom Jesus loved, resting on Jesus' bosom, mirrors Jesus resting on the Father's bosom. It's the love of friendship within the Trinity. Sorry, I'm yelling. This is so exciting, I think. (laughs) So one ancient writer can say, to say God is love is to say God is friendship. The Father, Son, and Spirit reflect an amazing friendship of reciprocity, mutuality, cooperation, love, and care. And this intimacy is extended to us. It's extended to us. Wonder of wonders. So Jesus is saying, I call you all friends. I invite all of you to rest in the intimacy of my bosom as I rest in the intimacy of my Father's bosom. Listen to what my heart beats with as I listen to what my Father's heart beats with. And what does Jesus' heart beat with? Well, we find out in John 17. That's his prayer. That's really the Lord's prayer. John 17. This is what he prays. Father, I'm praying for them. That's us. He's praying for us. Keep them from the evil one. May they all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and they also may be in us, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Isn't that incredible? That's what he's praying for us. That's what his heart is beating with. 
Jesus says, I call you friends. I like you. I enjoy you. You belong to us. Come into our circle of the Trinity and I will entrust my most intimate thoughts to you. Now it gets even better. (laughs) Jesus goes on to say that he chose us. He chose us. We didn't choose this friendship. This is not our doing. We've been chosen, you and me, to be his friends. We, who according to Romans 5, are ungodly, sinful, even enemies of God. Yet Jesus, the friend of sinners, chooses us. Martin Luther said this about friendship. In the world, people call others their friend because they expect to receive some benefit from them. They who are undeserving, who who cannot give help or who cannot do good to the other are not regarded as a friend. But here, in John 15, Christ calls friends those who had never done him a favor but are poor, wretched sinners, even God's enemies and whose sins and death he takes upon himself. Jesus calls us friends. Yes, this this is the fullest extent of his love. This is how Jesus loves us to the end. He says, I like you. I enjoy you. I call you my friend. So what does he expect from us? His chosen friends. Well, I have four things today. As with, number one, loyalty, as with any friendship, friends are loyal to each other. This is what any friend would expect of his or her friends. Just like Jesus will never abandon us, we never abandon him. And of course, this goes along with abiding. We abide in the vine. That demonstrates our loyalty to him. Number two, cultivation. Just like any friendship, we cultivate this friendship. We make space and time for Jesus. We nurture this friendship through presence, attentiveness, availability, love, and care. We invest in and cultivate this friendship. Number three, obedience. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. I think D.R. Carson is right when he says obedience is not the condition for this friendship, but rather the expression of this friendship. We we listen to Jesus and, and we come to him, we come to trust in him, and we begin to believe that he has our best interests in mind. And then, out of our love for him, we do what he commands as he does what his father commands. And what are the fundamental commands of chapter 15? Abide in me and love one another. Abide and love. As you do life in the Bay Area, abide 
and love. And number four, extend the friendship. Being friends with God means extending friendship to others. I think this is the primary fruit of these verses. For this is what we've been appointed to do. We've been appointed to extend the friendship. Friendship with God is communal in nature. As Jim Houston says, no one can be a friend of Jesus without having many other friends. So include others in the circle. Don't just love with decision. Love is friends. See, friendship with God is a calling to life in community, a life of friendship with others along the Jesus way. We befriend Jesus by befriending one another. But this takes great intentionality. Because as I began with, our culture doesn't value friendship. The individualism which permeates our culture forms us to put ourselves at the center of life, which means we put our needs above everyone else's, while our consumerist culture exalts getting rather than giving. Furthermore, our busyness conditions us to believe we simply don't have enough time. So we need great intentionality to extend the friendship, to produce this fruit. And of course, this is another chance to encourage all of us to be part of a connection group. We here at PBCC, we desire for all of us, every one of us, to be in a connection group because these are great places and they're natural places to extend the friendship. So those four things we can, we can do as friends of Jesus. So as I close, I'm gonna invite our worship team up and I'm gonna invite our communion servers to come up and stand over here to my left. So I'll close with this. One writer says this, the gospel can be put into six simple words. Jesus offers his friendship to you. Jesus offers his friendship to you. He loves us. Because we need him to love us. We don't deserve it, but he loves us even more than that. He loves us as friends. He says, I like you. I enjoy you. So it turns out Charlie Brown was right. <laughs> A friend is someone who knows your faults and likes you anyway. Jesus offers his friendship to you. That's the gospel. Amen. Well, today we get to respond to the gospel the best way possible, by taking communion. In communion, we celebrate the fruit of abiding 
Remember from last week, communion is one of those primary ways that we abide in Jesus. And we also celebrate today's invitation to abide in the friendship of God. Now you may remember this icon, Rublev's icon. We've shown it many times before. Um, It's called the Holy Trinity. And in this icon, we find the Trinitarian God extending his friendship to us. God, Father, Son, and Spirit is our host. And he invites us to share a meal with him. That means friends. Sharing meals means friends. So we share a meal with them as we share a meal with one another. Now, as you can see in this icon, the side of the table closest to us is empty to include one more person. That's you. And maybe you can see on the table, there's a small rectangular box in the front. That box is thought to have had a mirror at one time attached to it. So every person looking at the icon could see themselves sitting at the table with our Trinitarian God. For we were once excluded, separated from Christ, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been included in this friendship by the blood of Christ. For those who trust Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're invited to the table today. Let me first give the instructions. We're going to do it by intinction. We'll have five um, stations, the four corners, and I'll be in the middle here. The middle one will be for packaged elements, okay? Traffic flow works best if you, it's been a while since we've done this, so I'll explain it. Traffic flow works best if the first pews up front, the last pews in the back go first. Uh, go to your corner and then, uh, or up here to the center, and then uh, moving backwards from the front, forwards from the back, if that makes any sense. Um, so you go to your station, if you go to the corner stations, take a piece of bread, dip it in the drink. Don't drink that out of the cup, please. And return by the center aisle. Okay, so let's pray. Father, we praise and thank you for loving us and giving us yourself and your son, Jesus. We we do not presume to come to your table trusting in our own righteousness, but in your all-embracing love and mercy. We're not worthy even to gather the crumbs under your table, but it is your character to always show mercy. Grant us, therefore, God of mercy, so to eat at this table, your table, that we may receive in spirit and in truth the body of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and the merits of his precious blood. And that we may live and grow into his likeness and being forgiven, washed and cleansed through his most precious blood, we may evermore live in you and you in us as friends. Amen. Now receive this benediction. Jesus says, you are my friends. I like you.
I enjoy you. As you live life in the Bay Area this week, abide in me, remain in me, and love others just as I have loved you. Befriend others. Extend my friendship. Amen. Go in peace.